Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great, dude. Telling true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. Is that my advice to you? I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, GoBros, welcome to the GoBro Room. Got Mr. Devin Elder on the line. What's going on, bro? Pat, how are you, man? Thanks for having me. Hey, Devin, why don't you kind of give everybody a little rundown, like um, like a five-minute story of your life from the day you were born till now? Yeah, so I was born in, uh, here in San Antonio, grew up here for the most part. I was homeschooled by my parents until sixth grade, and then in sixth grade, I started going to public school after my folks split. So I was kind of the product of uh, some homeschooling in the beginning, and I know that's big for some of the guys here. And then public schooling, sixth through twelfth grade, and then I went to uh, I went to college here. Actually, wanted to be a, a you know a professional musician when I was a kid, and so I ended up during college just playing in bands and stuff to support myself. Did that for a couple of years, even after college, didn't get a real job for a little bit. But then at some point, decided um, I needed to get a career. And kind of had met my girlfriend and, uh, you know, was thinking maybe that could get serious. This is kind of my mid-20s. And so I ended up getting a job at a, a big uh, tech company here in San Antonio and hitting that really hard for a few years doing sales and, and some marketing stuff for them. And um, after a few years of doing that, started to get disillusioned on um, kind of climbing the corporate ladder. Every promotion I would get, it was like a uh, little bit more money and a lot more stress and responsibility. And I was like, I don't see how this can continue, how I can continue getting these incremental raises and keep piling on uh, the, the time commitment and the stress. And I didn't have anybody in my corporate job that I felt like was a, was a good mentor. It was all guys that were 10 years older than me that I that I didn't want to be like. There was nobody I could point to in this giant corporate organization that uh, I wanted to model. Fortunately, my older brother's been an entrepreneur his whole life, and I'd always watched him. And so uh, he, was, he was a good role model for me. And eventually, I ended up finding real estate investing and using that as a vehicle to get out of that corporate world. So I mean, it's been years doing the real estate stuff, done hundreds of flips, Airbnb stuff, rentals, mostly is what I focus on now is large multifamily. So 100 plus unit B and C multifamily value add stuff in San Antonio and been doing that for uh, since 2013, been doing the real estate thing full time since 2015, came to GoBundance in 2017, I think. I mean, it's been almost, it's been almost three years in GoBundance. And so that's kind of that's kind of the the high level. I'm married uh, 11 years, got three awesome kiddos. Uh, love to play guitar still and and sing and play golf. And so golf and guitar kind of my main things outside of work that I that I like to do other than uh, family stuff. Wow, that's awesome, dude. So now are you a real estate? You have your real estate license? Is that why you said 13 and 15? I didn't, I didn't catch that. Let's see. 13 and 15. 2013. No, that's just when I started buying uh, houses. You started buying houses in 13 and then in 15, you started buying multifamily. Yeah. And I, well, I went full time and basically left my last corporate job in 15. 15. But never, okay. never have had a uh, license. Nope. Okay. Well, I don't know why I thought that. So 
So talk to me about like units, like how many, do you keep single families or are you all multifamily now? We are kind of in a transition phase right now. So we're talking like end of 2019 right now, and this is being recorded. I've had for years, I've had a pretty brisk single family business where we're doing like dozens of houses a year, uh, you know, 30, 40 houses a year to flip them. But I'm starting to kind of pump the brakes there and slow that down. It's just, it just has worn me out. It's, it's okay money, but the amount of minutia and, you know, I'm looking at my day going, okay, I can close this $20 million building and deal with all that. Or I can, you know, worry about the, is the option fee in on this 150 K house. And it's kind of like occupying the same space in my mind. So starting to wind down the single family stuff, maybe still do a few of those would be more selective and not have this high volume uh, flip business. Also the flipping stuff, it's just of all the strategies I've done, it's, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say my least favorite, but I feel like it's a little riskier. It's, you know, you just write checks, write checks, write checks, write checks, and hopefully there's something left over for you to end. Whereas you got these rentals, single family rentals, Airbnb and multifamily at least you got some cash flow right away. You get, you're mm. getting checks right out of the gate. And I, I like that model better. So, do, winding, kind of winding down the single family business and starting to kind of sell off some of the existing projects. I still have about a dozen single families kind of throughout the city that I'll probably hang on to, to forever. I'm starting to give those to my kids and let my boys uh, start to manage the, the asset a little bit. How do you decide which ones you're keeping? Well, I just have like 12 and I'm just going to keep them. <laughs> you're just going to keep one of 12? Yeah, I mean, like, like, what are they? Like, what kind of houses? Yeah, like, like three bed, two bath, worth four hundred, two hundred. What? Yeah. yeah. So right now, they're mostly, you know, if I were to pull this up here, they're mostly like around two hundred k. You know, okay, single family houses, fifteen, eighteen hundred square feet. Ideally, it's a three two two nineteen eighties construction. There's a little bit of variance from that. Blue collar. Mm-hmm, blue collar. And then I've got two Airbnbs. So one of them, two of them are downtown and these areas that have just exploded in appreciation. So I'm like, I'm never selling that. Downtown San Antonio. Mm-hmm, yeah. And there's just tons of new projects going on. And so, you know, the game plan on these, uh, call it 12 houses, probably just hold on to them forever, pay them off. And, and uh, if my kids show some promise in uh, managing them. The, the plan is to give them to my kids if they show some competency and be able to manage them and then saying, hey, well, that's, that's your college fund or that's your start a business fund, whatever. You know, you get a couple of houses with some equity, but that's it. And it, you're, you're not getting an inheritance. You run these things into the ground, blow all the money. That, that was your shot. So that's the plan. <laughs> Easy said than done. What, you, do you, how old are your kids? 10, 8, and 4. Okay. You given a 10-year-old a DISC test yet? No, no, I haven't. That's a great... Uh, you should. Great, yeah. Yeah. You should. Yeah. You know, I think it, 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 the only reason I ask, you know, you find out, you know, I don't know if you can create... On, you know, I don't mean to be negative. I don't know if you can create entrepreneurs or, or, or they're created themselves. You know, it's a nature-nurture thing, you know? Yep. My, my, I got girls and they're SCs. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, you know, I never really expected them to, I mean, I, I want them to be fiscally responsible and, you know, and, and get it on a high level mm-hmm. at the same time. Do I want them to, you know, be like Donald Trump, how he did with his dad, what his dad gave him, you know what I mean? I mean, but it's interesting and since it's, uh, it's a work in progress always, but anyway, so, okay. So let's talk about, so how many, uh, talk to me about your multifamily portfolio. What do you got going there? Yeah, it's about 1,400 doors um, right now in San Antonio. And there's kind of a mix, you know, you could throw numbers around. Some of those I've got a, a smaller equity interest in. It's like a key principle and maybe, um, you know, one of those deals is, is partner with another group in another city where they're like, hey, we need a San Antonio guy local there, local principal to win the deal and maybe help keep an eye on it and help us with a little bit of the asset management. So, you know, I've got 5% of that deal, right? Uh, other deals I might have 30% of where, you know, my company is running the, running the whole show. So if you're looking at the whole portfolio there, you, you were probably around a 200 unit 
average per property, mid 80s or let's say 70s, 80s construction, uh, some kind of value add component where we can go in there and push rents through, you know, interior upgrades. We've done some pretty creative stuff. We've done some pretty um, intense stuff as far as like a value add component. We sold a deal this year that was, uh, we took down to one tenant, scraped the whole thing. It was insane. We did, it ended up being like 17K a door. Why'd you even keep one tenant? <laughs> he must have been fan. a great fucking tenant. Fan. Yeah. He was fan. How many yeah. units? And you took it yeah. down to one tenant. Wow, he must have felt like the sole survivor, huh? You know, it's crazy. He had face tattoos. He was the last guy I expected to be there, but he actually worked for this big company here. And he was kind of, um, he, he would keep an eye on the property for us and kind of help. Because uh, it was rough, man. We had like, you know, a drive-by shooting and, you know, people running around naked and junkies and pretty much any kind of horror story you, you can imagine yeah. was, was there on that property. And this guy kind of helped shepherd us through the, uh, the turnaround. So that, that said, like having done that, and that ended up being a good, you know, good return for I want to hear about this, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, okay. So what'd you pay for it? It was um, 30, 33 a door. How many? 75. Okay. So, and how many tenants did you have in there out of 75 units? Yes. So it was like, <laughs> it was like 65% physical occupancy. So we mm -hmm. had bodies in there for 65 of it. And it was like 40% economic occupancy. Mm. Um, so, so really, yeah. really bad. And, and then, you kicked them all out, except yeah. for the face tattoo, except for Post Malone. Yeah. So Post Malone stays and then... You kicked everybody out. You evicted them, right? All at once? Like, did you do a group eviction? Just send everybody, tell everybody you're out? How'd you do that? Well, like, first of all, you know, if you're looking at the delta between 40% 40, 40 um, economic occupancy and 65% physical, you got 25% there that basically, hey, the first day you're getting notice to vacates. You, you're not paying, so get out. A lot of those guys self-evicted, right? I mean, clearly there was like zero... Uh, eyes on the property from the ownership group. They weren't spending a nickel. You had people in units that hadn't, that didn't have lights or water because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get abandoniums. Yeah, yeah. Is what the yeah. dope fiends in Baltimore call them abandoniums. So, so you got you, you basically you cleared it out, and then what'd you do? Well, we brought in all our crews to uh, start rehabbing it. So it was a rebrand, painted the exterior pretty good looking property. I, you know, we sold it to this guy out of New York, but it's called nexusurbanliving.com. Let's see if the website's still up. I transferred to bought it. Guy. This guy out of New York, you know, he's kind of a, 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 a um, first time syndicator, just kind of friends and family money. And um, I talk to him every now and then. I, I, th I think they're, they're hanging on, doing okay. So, so wait a minute. So you cleared it out, you fixed it up. Then what'd you sell it for? We sold it for six, six million. And you paid what for it? We paid uh, 33 a door. So it's like 2.475. And what'd you put in it? 2.5. We put in 17 a door. So a little over a million bucks, like one point, almost 1 1.3. So you had, you, you had four in it and you sold it for six. And then how long? 25 months. Did you lease it up? Oh, yeah. yeah it was 100% leased. 100% leased. Yeah. It's crazy. Hey, you know, you worked. That's great. And then that was your baby, right? So you, you had 30% of upside on that? Yeah, I, had, I actually had a couple of partners on that one. So my equity was, was a little smaller than that. But I kind of looked at it as a, hey, this is a jumping in the deep end on the multifamily stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you probably, what, a half million bucks or so. Mm-hmm. So it was good. Taught me a lot of stuff I, I don't want to do and don't do now, which is self-managing. I don't self-manage now. I use third party. I So uh, why tell me about that? Why do you, why why don't you self-manage? Because you know, there's a couple schools of thoughts on there. I know that, yeah. you know, yeah. Josh and Dave, they 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 have a management company, they they do well on it. Other syndicators don't do it, right? They're like, no, we don't do it because you know, we feel we can get a better deal with it and it's and or it's a pain in the ass what uh, what's your philosophy yeah so my philosophy from that experience on that 75 unit is you know I, basically i was living there every day right and it was 
I'm, I'm looking at, man, you know, I've got this other business with the single family deal. I'm living there. That's a pretty poor use of my time. I don't, you know, I don't like it. I don't like running a C property and sitting there and turning it around and dealing with contractors and tenants all day. That's just not a personally what I want to spend my day doing. I, I want to spend my day focused more on the capital side and the, the structure and, uh, and that kind of thing. So mostly it's just kind of like a time ROI deal. Felt like it's a poor use of time. And if you look at 3% of revenue for a management company, I mean, that's not that much money at all Damn. to run the whole thing. Well, so, you learned a lot. Yeah, for sure. Look, the experience was invaluable. And now, you know, the stuff we're doing now is, is more like five, six, seven K a door rehab. So way, way, way less. <laughs> After that, we're yeah. actually selling, um, should be closed on it next week. So that was a, a, the deal I bought after that was 130 units. And it was um, not, it definitely wasn't as bad of a value add. We put about um, 11K a door into it, but it's still rough property. And man, we turned that whole thing around. It's looking to be, you know, a 50% return to investors in 18 months. Damn. Great return. But man, I hired a construction manager on that thing and she crushed it. And I don't have to freaking be there every day. Mm. And so I did that 130 unit my way, <laughs> the, the way I wanted to do it. And it came out great. And I, and I used a lot of those lessons learned from that 75 unit. to say, Yeah, right. Stepping stone. I mean, it's too bad opportunity zones weren't there, right? Because, you know, that, those funny, have been that, great ones, yeah. That deal's in an opportunity zone, but it's like multifamily's hard to make work. Unless you, unless you got dirt to build on. You know, you've got to do, uh, what is it, half of the improved value? Yeah. You know, so there's mm-hmm. just no way that's happening on that property. On the first one, it did because you're 33 and 17. Yeah, the first half. one would have. Yep, that, that would have worked. But yeah, that was pre-opportunity zone. The, the next one, it's in opportunity zone. And it's kind of cool. You're seeing some stuff go up around, you know, in the area. You can see people spending money building stuff. What do you think about opportunity zones? Because, you know, I've heard some, I've talked to some, you know, about, you know, when they first came out a year and a half ago, two years ago, everybody was, and I think you were there in Austin too, when we were talking about this, everybody was like, yeah, man, these are great. You know, we love them. We're going to do them. I'm in, you know, a, a bunch of the GoBros went out and and, um, and started a couple, as you know, and now I'm starting to talk to people and they're like, ah, you know, 10 years is seven years or whatever is a long time. And uh, they're fitting square pegs and round holes doing these things. And there's so much paperwork to jump through. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I mean, what you tell me, what, what's your, what do you think? It's real easy on it. You know, I took a cursory look at it when it kind of first started getting on everybody's radar and said, Hey, this doesn't fit my model. I can't buy a building for 5 million. That's 2 million land, 3 million improved value and put 1.5 million into it. So I'm not going to do it. So I'm out. So I'm not going to waste one more second looking at it or trying to attract investors or do any of it. And that's been real easy for me say, I'm out on this deal because it doesn't fit my model. Now, if I was a developer, right? Totally different deal, right? I mean, it's a great, that's a great opportunity. Seems like great opportunity, but so I haven't even looked at it because- What about an investor? Let's say somebody sold some Apple stock that -hmm. they've had for, you know, 10 years. And they got a grand, they got a hundred grand gain. Would you recommend it? Or would you tell them, I pay the taxes, dude? Would I recommend Opportunity Zone? Yeah. Would you tell them to pay the taxes and invest in other stuff over the next seven to 10 years? Or would you say, you know what? Take that gain in Apple stock and put it in an Opportunity Zone. I wouldn't tell them. I'd say, hey, that's not my forte. You mean, you want to talk about rental houses, Airbnb or, or BNC multifamily? I'm your guy. But you well, would you tell them to buy that instead then? Well, look, I've maybe got a, let's say maybe I've got a project for you to invest in. I can talk to you about that. But the Opportunity Zone stuff, I'm not your expert. Don't, don't come to me for counsel. Yeah. On that. Interesting. Okay. The wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. So let's talk about your one sheet. So, you know, certainly like it sounds like most of your net worth has been made in the last five years, right? Yep. Yep. Been a good, good, been a good run for you. Glad you got out. 
right? And, and got into this biz. 100%. Yep. So like as far as stuff that you're holding, right? You're holding those, those 12 units and are you, do you plan on holding? I mean, is your model refinance and then sell on all these multifamilies? You're going to hold some of these too. Yeah, I'm start. I'm starting to. Uh, well, it's case by case, right? So they're they're kind of always at the front end, like, hey, it's a five year hold. So value add, cash flow, maybe refinance, maybe not. You know, we've mm-hmm. got one looking at refinancing later this year, but we might also sell it. Like, hey, we've got some interest at a number that makes sense. You're going, well, shoot, man. I mean, if we go full cycle and make everybody a pile of money. Probably you know. should. I don't think, you know, that, that whole five-year thing is great, right? Especially if you bought in 2012 and mm-hmm. 2014. I, you know, is the five-year model the right model in 2020 to 2025? Mm-hmm. I mean, but um, anyways, what do you think? Yeah, so it's case by case. I'm looking at cap rates just just sliding down. You're like, how much more can these things slide, man? Right. So of course we're adjusting cap rates up and, and, and everything at exit. Didn't Trump tweet something about taking rates to zero and refinancing? <laughs> yeah. We like, you know, Japan. Uh, I mean, just, yeah. So I, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. I've got to, we've got to do our underwriting, assuming a rising cap rate, right. On exit. And then I think once you get into a deal too, you get a year into a deal, see what you can, where you can push numbers and what you can get to. And that, that's just going to, you know, you, you do a five-year outlook on the outset, make sure you've got some debt maturities far enough out to ride out a recession or whatever the case is. And then, um, you know, you get a couple of years into it. And I mean, the number I'm always looking at, let's say I'm doing a, let's say I'm doing a five-year project, five-year projection with a hundred percent return, right? So 20% a year mm-hmm. on average. Well, if I can get out in year two and do 25%, you know, I'll probably look at that. I'll probably hmm. Depends on the asset too. We seem to be moving towards nicer assets. So like the one I'm selling right now, man, it's 1973, flat roofs, kind of rougher tenant base. That's not changing. And I'm looking at my repair and maintenance number over the next couple of years going, eh, I feel like there's a little risk there, right? So maybe nice to go full cycle on that asset. Something else that's newer, nicer, better area, pitch roofs, all that kind of stuff. Like, man, it's pretty, pretty nice physical asset in a good area. That's something maybe to, to think about holding on longer term if you can kind of control your, your operating costs. Yeah. All right. So what percentage are you? I'm super low right now. I basically decided my focus is on building the business, building assets. Um, I've got a little bit of cash flow from houses and from the apartments, but it, it all just goes back into the business. So I don't even track it right now because. Well, what does that mean? Really? I mean, that's, it all goes back into the business, but it doesn't, right? Because you have a personal tax return. Yeah, like, so, you, know, you own all these houses, right? And then they, they pay you rent, right? And then if you, you make that money, then you, you actually move it from one bank account to the next? No, I'll just leave them in the operating account for the houses. You know, for the houses, have, okay. Yeah, in case we have a repair or something like that or a tenant moves out, just want to make sure that there's, you know, if you look at a house over a year, the cash flow, instead of taking it as a distribution, I'll just leave it in there. So there might be something to distribute. What I basically do for my primary company is just pay myself a small salary and then enough of a distribution to, uh, to pay the bills and leave it all, leave the rest in there. You leave it all in there. Now, you still have to pay taxes on that, you know, even though you don't take it out federally. Mm-hmm. So, Man, we, yeah, I don't pay any taxes. I mean, with, with all the, all the um, right, I'm on a treadmill so. now, right? buying these assets, especially the bigger ones. I'm getting yeah. so much depreciation every year that it's it's crushing any any tax liability. What about your like your but your investors are getting distributions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't you pay yourself a distribution after you pay them the minimum, you know you know what I mean? After you pay them the pref? Yeah. Well we do like a seven or eight pref and then a split, right? So mm-hmm. I'm getting anything over the split, but honestly, Pat, it's pretty small, you know. Right. Okay. Most of my money's in the in the equity on the back end, right? 
So, and there's, there's some asset management fees and stuff too, but all that's pretty nominal and that just kind of goes in the company to, to help operating costs. So, you know, a lot of what I've done over the, the last few years is live off that the houses were flipping. That's been kind of my primary income. Yep. Okay. Which is, so is that, all, you know. Would you say that's an active business? Like, I mean, like. Absolutely. <laughs> you know man because <laughs> you're are you, you're going out and seeing them all right no i'm not i built a team that's you know running the rehabs and everything but but you're uh, still you know moving the puzzle pieces around with the team yeah and sometimes i feel like man all i'm doing is is all day is moving money around and it just it's you know like i said there's only so many hours in the day I have the opportunity and now we've got the track record and kind of the reputation in this city and everything where brokers are bringing us stuff first to look at. And I'm like, man, we can buy this 10 or $20 million building and I can put my, spend my day on that. Or I, I can mess around with all these little houses that are going to make, you know, 25 K and it just, you know, didn't, didn't make sense. So starting to shift the focus more now to the, to the big stuff. Awesome, dude. Okay. So, all right. What are your What are your monthly bills like? Your personal bills. Living on fifteen um, k a month for the house, so, so that's, buck eighty, right? And mm -hmm. you pay yourself a buck eighty out of there, out of your companies and stuff. Yep. Yeah, I've got like a small salary, and then uh, the remainder's made up by just a you know distribution check every month. So that goes into household checking. That pays for. Uh, everything, right? Kids, soccer, house, vacations, uh, you know, whatever lifestyle, you know, we want to live. Yeah. You should distribute like a hundred bucks a house and 500 bucks an apartment or something. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean an apart, a, a, a project or something just so you start having this horizontal income, you know, so you start feeling entitled to it because you're never going to feel entitled to it if you never pay yourself it. You know? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. I think, and I definitely want to get there. I think the last five years has just been been building mode, right? Where like, yeah, which is great, out. which is fucking great, you know. But yeah. at the same time, you know, you deserve to have horizontal income. I think it'll because I I remember you talking about uh, this with Doc, uh, Phil Kelly, and in the Austin event. Do you remember that where he where he kind of cornered you were the best one that he talked to. The rest of the guys, you know weren't as good as yours let's just say and i think it kind of ties into that too i mean do you remember that no phil kelly the the that, i don't know if that was me yeah no what was the guy's name that wrote the book the the irish guy oh yeah pat mckiernan or no no mckiernan phil mckiernan <laughs> yeah okay he cornered me on some other stuff it wasn't financial <laughs> i know it wasn't financial but it was about being home for the kids yes yep yep now you do remember that right Oh yeah, I remember that. So that and 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 that and I think it's relative in that that problem is solved by having horizontal income, right? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's solved, I think, by um, having some more focus in the business that doesn't require me to constantly be uh, on top of a lot of these different things. And I, I think the single family business, with all the minutia, even having built a team and systems and all that stuff. It was. It's still just taking too much time and too much mental uh, mental real estate for me to kind of keep them both going. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway. So back to the point of horizontal income. That's why you need to start paying yourself, so you have, you know, some some horizontal income, so you don't feel like you have to constantly build, build, build. You're right. right. You're absolutely right. All right. So uh, let's talk about your health. What? How much do you weigh? Two hundred. How much do you want to weigh? I'm I'm good with 200 because if it, you know I've I've played the game trying to get down 190 whatever it is but if you're if you're working out you're lifting weights and building muscle you know you, you you're not necessarily going to drive that weight down I'm a thin, I'm six two I'm a thin frame so I don't want to be uh, emaciated right so um, I'm not I'm not trying to drive towards this. Uh, Weight number. I feel pretty good around two hundred as long as it's uh, as long as I'm consistently working out, and lifting weights. I, you know, I struggle with that too, to be honest with you. Like, I, I'm I'm always at like one eighty seven, mm -hmm. and I work out constantly. I think I eat pretty healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not at my ideal weight and or body fat. My ideal weight and or body fat is ten pounds less. 
right. but it's but it's almost like the my my body wants me to be here right i mean it's yeah. like whenever i go down that 10 i always gain it back <laughs> you know and and it's it, but it's hard for me it's hard for me to just be acceptance of it you know be yeah, like hey this I, is where i'm supposed to be i've done it all like i've done um intermittent fasting and and super low calorie i've done vegan i've done uh you know whatever the caveman stuff is, uh, keto. I've, I've basically done all that. And I spent a lot of time kind of dialing it in. And finally, I realized, well, the scale's putting me around 200. I work out three days a week. I play golf. I ride my bike. I play with my kids. I feel good. I've had times where I lifted a ton of weights and had to eat a ton of food to compensate or to because my body was demanding it. And that just felt counterproductive to me. Like, what, why am I working out? I'm always sore and tired and I'm always hungry. Uh, that's, that's just not a very good life. So I think I've got a good balance right now at 200, working out, good workout three days a week with weights, you know, kind of play golf and stay active and uh, that, that, and then eat, you know, I, I don't eat breakfast. I eat two meals a day, um, usually pretty healthy. And then on the weekend, kind of eat whatever I want. And to me, that feels like a good balance overall where I can kind of accept it. Look, there's always room for improvement for sure. But given the whole balance of my life and how much uh, time and energy I'm willing to commit to it? It's it's uh, it's working. And what like those two meals that you have a day? What uh, typically what do you eat? So let's say it's uh, you know coffee for breakfast. So no no breakfast. Come into the office. Uh, go get Chipotle at noon, um, and then eat dinner at home. And it's you know chicken and veggies, or you know wife cooks a steak or whatever whatever it is, whatever wife's making at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you get at Chipotle? Man, it's at uh, barbacoa. Oh, so just barbacoa and veggies. What's and barbacoa? Beef. Beef. So it's like a beef, beef and vegetable bowl or something? Yep. No carbs? No carbs. Yep. Okay. All right, good. All right, cool. All right, so let's talk about, um, you know, where Devin's been. Like if, if I had to take – you know, your life so far, how old are you, Devin? 41. Last 41 years, right? And pick five things that would be Devin's greatest hits, the, the five coolest moments of your life. Now, a cliche would be, you know, my daughter born and my son born, and, and that's what I think. So let's just say that's a yep. given. So you can't use your yep. kids' births. So give me, give me five or so that, um, that would be your greatest hits. Yep. So obviously you take the, the marriage and the kids out of the equation. That, that, that's your, uh, that's your gimme. Definitely leaving my corporate job in 2015 was just this amazing uh, milestone. Were you scared? Terrified, positively terrified. I mean, look, I had kids. I was, uh, you know, making, uh, making six figures in a job that was really easy, you know, and not very demanding. And I had, a lot of free time and, and, and it still wasn't. So to walk away from that was like, uh, are you a complete idiot here walking away from kind of this? <laughs> Somebody asked me this. My trainer asked me this the other day. It was an odd question I thought at the time, but it really made me think. He's like, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? Mm-hmm. Like it like it with your life. You know what I mean? Scariest decision you've ever made. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that was the scariest decision you ever made? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Sure. So you left it and, and then the greatest hit would be that day, the so last that day, day maybe. Yeah. yeah, I was like, man, it was kind of weird because I hadn't told anybody at that job what I was up to. And, um, uh, you know, I went in and told my boss and, and uh, it was kind of anticlimactic because I think everybody at that particular job, that was a job I took with the intention of it being my last job. So I worked there for two years, didn't tell a soul that I was like cranking away on this real estate stuff on the side because, you know, I didn't want to get fired over it. And I kind of kept that private. So I literally told my boss, like, Hey, I had some investments that are working out. So I'm quitting. And uh, it was kind of weird not telling him, <laughs> but you know, it was, my, so, um, uh, I'm quitting. <laughs> now I, I told him, I told him, I gave him some heads up. I actually asked if I could quit and be a consultant and continue to do my job and continue to get paid. And, um, we, we actually negotiated that where I was going to quit, work from home, still get paid and do a consultant for, and work like half the hours and still get paid. And on paper, that made a lot of sense. But um, after sitting with it for a week or two, I was like, nah, I got, I, got to be, I got to be all in on this business if I'm going to do it. And so I said, 
cut the cord, no more paycheck, and uh, and shift gears. No, I agree with that. And and you're really glad you did. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean it was <laughs> it was the right thing. It's easy to say that now, right? It's terrible. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. At the time, but it is interesting looking back, right, and seeing how your mind was, you know, unsure. It was, you know, wasn't a sure thing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did, I mean, it was, did anybody tell you you were making a mistake? No. Nope. Nobody did. You know, thankfully, my wife was on board. I think that was the biggest thing. Mm. She actually was pushing me for it, you know, which was like, man, is she, is she crazy? Is she okay? <laughs> She's a keeper. I mean, my wife's the same way. Like, you know, I think about like all the crazy stuff I've done and, mm. you know, a couple of times she was like, mm, are you sure, you know, make sure you do your homework. But she was never like, don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, don't do it. She never really cared that much one way or the other. Like she believed in me. So she was going to let it go, you know? So, and I, I think that's so important in a spouse, you know? Oh man, I, there's no way I would have done it if she was against, uh, there's, there's no way. So she's been a hundred percent supportive the whole time since day one. I mean, look, man, she took a risk on me. When she met me, I was, I was singing in a band for a living. Right? <laughs> that was, that was uh, I had a college degree and that was about all I had going. <laughs> and, uh, it worked out pretty good for her. So what kind of, what genre, what's your preferred genre? I mean, I, I like rock and roll, man. You know, I grew, I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and that, and that kind of stuff. And I'm a guitar player, right? So all that guitar-centric stuff, uh, Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin, I and mean, that, that's, that's my thing. You know? Who do, who's new? Who do you like that's, that's modern day? Man, I don't know. I think uh, I'm kind of kind of old man here. I'm like, man, I listen to the old stuff. I'm actually getting into a little country more. There's a lot of good Texas country there's a there's a guy named Jason Isbell that's kind of Americana. Yeah, in the 400 unit. I, I saw him in the con- I've seen him in concert twice. Yeah, so I got a buddy. Drive by truckers. Yeah, I got a buddy that's uh, he's actually a little bit older than me. He's a dentist and he's this huge music fan. So he's always taking me to these shows. It's funny he's dragging me to these shows, and then we'll get into whatever band uh, we're going to see. So I don't couldn't tell you who's on. Dude, it's hard. It's a rock and roll. I mean, is is I don't want to say it's dead, but it's modern day rock is difficult for stuff to latch onto. You know, I like Cage the Elephant. I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to them. They're 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 about as modern day rock and roll as you're gonna find that's popular. But it's hard. It's hard. Different completely different game with the iTunes, the internet, with electronic music. I mean, the stuff my kids are into is like uh, awful, right? It's like, I guess that's just a classic thing, right? It's ridiculous. It's re- if you listen to a Led Zeppelin song and play it and, and don't do anything but listen to it and listen to how the, the guitar talks to the lead singer then talks to the drum, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the whole song is like amazing and then you the stuff that's out today it's like nothing it's like a it's all you know it's all done on a keyboard yeah and you can't understand the lyrics and they don't and it doesn't make sense i mean it's like it's like so poor compared to a queen song yeah yeah. you know what i mean i mean i totally agree but every time i go down that road i'm like Am I yelling "Get off my lawn" yet? I mean, is that where <laughs> is that what's happening? Because uh, you know, each each new generation's music is gonna is gonna go against the previous ones. So I, you know, whatever. But uh, I'm still a musician. I still love to play guitar. I still, you know, have a few guitars, and it's a real escape for me. And I probably enjoy it a lot more now because. I don't have any expectations. I'm just playing for the for the joy of it. I'm not playing for a gig to make money or to to do anything. It's just playing for the sheer enjoyment of it, and that's a it's a it's a great escape for me. So I, I love it. That's awesome. All right, so uh, let's get back to your greatest hits. What else you got? Well, man, I mean, you take the family out of it. That that's that's a that's obviously you know key key stuff there. I mean, I guess if you're looking back over the over my whole lifetime, it's it's graduating college. You know, that was a, that was a, a, a big one. 
you know, meeting my wife, I mean, that was a kind of a complete life-changing, life-changing thing. I know we can't count that on the... On How'd you meet? You can count it. I don't care. Like, it, no, that, actually, that's a good one. Like, the day you met. I was just trying to, like, you know, make you think, because if you used your marriage yeah. and kids and you only have one, so <laughs> one to talk, think about. So, like, like, how did you guys meet? You know, I saw her when she was... Uh, <laughs> This is, this is funny, but I saw her when she was probably 17. She was a, a hostess at this restaurant, right? And I worked at a restaurant about two miles away. And so I remember seeing her going, oh, my God, this girl is, uh, is beautiful. And so I, she stuck in my mind. And then I, I actually saw her years later at, at this bar where my band was playing a show. And I, I said, man, it's that girl. This is like whatever, um, seven years later six years later so no way you're like that's the girl that used to be a hostess at ruby tuesdays that's it man and i said wow it's that it's that that uh, beautiful girl from uh that thing and and so uh, she was a teacher at that point and so uh yeah so we met and and you know started dating and and then uh and yeah and i was literally like playing in a band for a living and and didn't have a job at the, at the time i mean she re- looking back i'm like man she really you know, she could have had her pick of whatever guys that were out there making a bunch of money at the time or whatever. And um, so that's good because I think she, she, you know, picked me for the right reasons and it, right. it's worked out. And so that's kind of, that's, that's a good foundation, I think. So, uh, you know, we ended up getting married and, and having kids like pretty, pretty soon after, but having that, um, having that stability and that person there and then somebody that's believed in me for the business is is like uh that's just critical right it's critical no absolutely i love that story because when i when i got engaged i think well probably right before like like first year out of college my wife and i met senior year college or started dating seriously senior year out of college let's say and so it's like um senior year in college and uh, so, first year out of college, I made thirteen thousand seven hundred, and she made twenty five. So, so she made twice as much as me. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good for the ego, uh, right? You know, and and you're right. It's like it's like you, it's not based on anything, but you know, are you compatible? Are you a good match? It's you know, money, all that craps. You know, based on having faith that the person's gonna provide and succeed and be good you know yep yep what about the future greatest hits like what do we we, let's pick some out out of the future right let's say you lived a a hundred you've got 59 years left you know what do you want if you had to have you know a list of future greatest hits for your album what would some of them be yeah, so I mean, definitely stuff around around uh, the kids and 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 seeing the kids uh, be successful and and uh, get married and so forth. But I think about it in terms of one of the things that's kind of shifting for me. I'm 41. I've done uh, a lot of these multifamily deals. Continue to do. Them. I'm I'm starting kind of opportunity to help some other people advance or get started with kind of their own investing journey and. Um, maybe participate in that or maybe I can just steer them in the right direction. And that's pretty cool to see. So I don't, I don't know how to quantify it at this point, but it's kind of seeing people positively impacted by my uh, involvement, right? Whether that's kind of guidance or whether that's being a partner with them. That's really like, I see myself transitioning from kind of the young guy doing all the work to the old guy that's, that's got the money. Right. And I'm kind of, making that transition over the, over the next couple of years. So I think what I, what I look at a lot now is trying to find the right people to back. And that's a tricky thing is, you know, you know, how do you choose partners? How do you choose people that are the young guys that are going to go hustle and, uh, and stick with you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so basically, um, you know, kind of finding out who I'm going to, who I'm going to rock and roll with for the next couple of decades on, on the business stuff, you know, and where I can bring some value and some insight and some capital and they can bring some, some hard work and the, and the right, uh, you know, the right stuff. So that, that's been kind of interesting. I think that's probably pretty uh, rewarding. I think for the future is seeing some people go do some big things because of my intervention the same way that that people like you or dave osborne have have impacted me positively all are further down the road 
Um, I feel like a link in a chain, right? There's people that are helping me up and there's people that I'm helping up. And that's, um, that's pretty cool to, that's pretty cool to do, you know, aside from the money and the deal metrics and all that stuff. So I think that's other than, you know, pouring into my kids and raising my children and teaching my children, which is obviously like the, the number one priority. I think on the, on the business side, there's a lot of opportunity there to kind of help the, the next generation of guys, uh, up. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a, this part of the hero's journey, right? You know, you do that. That's, that's how your life is supposed to happen, mm -hmm. right? You build up and then you kind of help others up uh, on the, in the second stage. Are you going to Austin? I mean, uh, Aspen? Uh, I'm still looking at Aspen. I haven't cleared the, the calendar yet. I'm looking at it. Because, uh, and you play what? You, you play lead guitar and sing? Or are you more of a singer? Or what are you? I'm, I uh, started out playing guitar, but I'm, I've, done, I've done lead guitar and lead vocals and all that stuff. I'm comfortable with all that. Because, you know, an idea that just popped into my head, you know, Josh Painter has been playing the drums. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, we should, we should have you guys play. We should create a GoBundance band. Yeah, we, we need a bass player and maybe a keyboard player if anybody's listening. And then another guitar player wouldn't hurt. Um, you want me to put it out there in the Facebook group? Man, let's do it. Let me check on Aspen. <laughs> All right, check on Aspen first. Let me know. Let me know because I'd love to do that. I'd love to. I mean, I, I guarantee you there's a keyboard player and a, and a, and brother James could probably, if he's there, he could probably chip in and do something too. You know, I mean, um, help out with the band. But you could, so. Yeah, that'd be fun. He's got all the PA and the gear and everything, and that he doesn't mind Josh jumping on the kit, and I can, you know, ship a guitar out there or whatever. But yeah, man, that'd be that'd be a ton of fun. Uh, let's do it. That's going to be cool. All right, cool. So let me um, let's uh, let me end this with by generating a, a random card from the GoBundance card game. Is that all right with you? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right, what mentor did you most recently most recently seek out, and what did you learn? Yep, most recently. That's a that's a good question. I've I've had a ton of mentors. So there's a guy named Dan Sullivan. He runs something called Strategic Coach. Been around for decades, and it's funny. I'm not in. He's got a program called Strategic Coach. I'm not in it, but I definitely read all his stuff and his teachings he's like an entrepreneur specific coach have been uh, really instrumental for the way i kind of structure my business and some of the some of the objectives that that i have and some of the ways that i that i build things so dan sullivan from strategic coach i'd, I'd say would have been the guy and what'd you learn so a lot of the stuff he's got around uh taking free time has been very instrumental and around team building and around delegation. And I know that's super vague to, to say it that way, but those things have been been really important as I've built my companies over the last couple of years. Yeah. And and delegation and taking free time. Is that free time for yourself or free time for your business? Like what does that mean? They define something, uh, they define a free day as 24 hours with nothing work-related, no work-related reading, thinking, podcasts, talking, working, 100% <laughs> freedom from it. Okay, so let's think about this, guys. That's pretty intense, right? Yes. It's hard, so I mean, hard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm off today. You're talking no reading, podcasts, tax really to business people. Right, and even, even thinking about it, and that's, thinking that's, about it, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent unplug disconnection. Right, so have you done it? Yeah, I've done it. How was it? It's uh, I've been <laughs> I've been working on it and and getting it right for years. The, I think for me, I can do it if the timing works out. If I've got a project or something that's that's going on and kind of the heat of it. And you've got some deadlines and stuff. It's just, it's just not happening, right? There's no way I can mentally unplug from it. But what it has done is it's forced me to build systems and training for my team and processes that allow me to be able to, to be able to do that. So I've gotten better at it and I, I can do them. And I track, it's one of the things I track, right? So I track a few things, one-on-one -on -one time with my kids, one-on-one -on -one time with my wife, uh, exercise, how much I play golf, how many drinks I have, 
and how many free days I have. So I, I track all that stuff kind of on a daily basis. And you know, that's interesting. First and foremost, it's the phone, right? I mean, you either have to leave it, you either have to turn it off, mm-hmm. or you have to turn off the notifications. Yep. So one of the things I'll do is uh, pretty good about, let's just, let's just say it's a Saturday because that's a lot easier than yep. like a free day on a Wednesday, right? I'm working towards building a free day on a Wednesday, but that's a lot harder as you can imagine. Yeah. So let's say it's a Saturday. E- go on your iPhone, turn the email off, right? So you're getting no, you can't even check your email. Right? Yep. And then for the phone, it's not that bad. I've, I've done it where I turn the phone completely off, but I still got to be able to text my wife and stuff. So a lot of my family knows if we're doing family stuff to, to go through my wife, like she's going to schedule all this. So that's kind of off the, off the deal. And so I, I really, the phone's been, the phones are pretty easy. I don't, I don't really get calls on the weekends. You could go airplane mode, but then you wouldn't get your, you, you know, if I'm with my family on vacation, I'll go airplane mode mm-hmm. so they could take photos, but nothing else. Yep. Yep. I'll do that sometimes. Or I'll go airplane mode when I get home. So get home from work, go airplane mode. And then that way I can focus on my kids in that couple hours. Yeah. That way you can listen to music or, or you can take photos and that's it. That's the only two things you can do. Yep. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's good stuff, man. Well, it sounds like you've, you've made progress since you stood up there with uh, Phil McKernan and uh, talked about, uh, you know, balance a little bit. Yeah, no, no doubt. That was a big, uh, that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, no, that was good. I appreciate you getting candid that day. I remember that distinctly because everybody, the, the the entire room got silent. You know, it was like, whoa, I have this problem too. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it was mm. a big problem. Yep. Cool, man. Well, listen, Devin, this has been a blast, buddy. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing everything, and uh, best of luck to you. And uh, uh, I'll see you soon. Awesome, Pat. Thank you, man. Really enjoyed it. All right, dude. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can create-